0: You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where every episode I'll dive deep into the creative minds of your new favorite songwriters, band leaders, and sonic explorers who, like me, have dedicated their lives to traveling the world, telling their strange stories to anyone who'll listen. My name is Zach Lupiton. Let's go. This week on the show, I bring you a cross-freeway conversation I had with the leader of a daring electro-roots outfit born and raised in the San Fernando Valley of L.A., Run River North. I have to say I'm a little jealous of all the rest of the folks in the country who get to put sweaters on as it cools down, teetering towards November. I did vote today, and if you happen to be in the valley right now, it's probably about 105 degrees. A discerning Angelino could probably tell that I'm a Midwestern migrant, an adopted son of LA, and I've been here in this cracked, rainless paradise for over 12 years now, and being a Pisces dreamer raised on the shores of Lake Michigan, I've always tried to stay as close to the beach as possible, and as far, far away as I could get from the valley, that strip mall strewn soulless backwater where it's 110 for half the year. But then I started changing my mind. It was after I caught up with Run River North's affable frontman and lyricist Alex Wong that I learned just how fertile the valley has been in producing rock and pop's finest modern moments like Jenny Lewis and Rilo Kiley and the Ladies of Heim and System of a Down, Fishbone, Quiet Riot and the legendary delicious Flying Burrito Brothers and who could forget Tom Petty free-falling in love with that good girl from Reseda who loves Elvis and horses as the vampires of the valley on Ventura Boulevard lay in wait. Really, the area has been the epicenter of ethnic culture for nearly 8,000 years, with the Tongva, Fernandeño, and Chumash Indians settling the Arroyos before the Spanish rolled up in 1769 and, air quotes, settled and saved the soul of the valley. But for Alex, Sally, and Daniel of Run River North, it's just where they're from. It's where Alex's South Korean family set up shop in an America that wasn't always so sure it wanted them there at all. And yes, this is definitely the first time, and maybe the last time, we'll have an all-Korean-American band on this show. And you know what? That's not good. Have you looked at what you've been listening to lately? Do all the bands and all the artists look kind of like you? Why is that? Are we sonically redlining artists of color from across the rock, pop, and Americana spectrums into another category altogether? Well, if you've never heard of Run River North, they've been around for almost ten years— They used to be called Monsters Calling Home, and they found a waiting fan base who eagerly embraced their emotive songs about immigrant family dramas done masterfully with their acoustic instruments and a lush electronic backdrop. Alex and my early bands were all playing the same coffee shops and bars and pubs around LA about 10 years ago. But then a little kismet struck. They got some unexpected national publicity, they got signed to Network Records, and they put out their gorgeous self-titled rebrand record, Run River North. And soon they were playing some of their biggest shows to date in festivals across Japan and South Korea. But Alex will be the first to tell you that the last few years have not been easy for these guys. They've had people leave the band. They've had to decide what their purpose is. But then they took a bold step. They cut ties with their label and went totally independent again, starting from scratch. And while many bands who can't tour at all and can't make new income during this pandemic are considering giving it up altogether, Daniel, Alex, and Sally were actually recording songs across town in their cars and making new music right now. And they put out a flurry of hooky pop folk gems like the smilingly subversive Pretty Lies, my favorite, which you'll hear in a bit, that have them cautiously more excited about the future than ever before. And what is going to happen in the future. Will the venue that you love to go to still be there in 2021 or 2022 when this all finally lifts? I don't know. Will the songwriters that have been the soundtrack of your life still be making new music next year? It's not a given. Many of us are taking a hard look for the first time if this artistic way of life is even possible. All I can say is the reason I do this show is to spread the good word about people making good work right now. And Run River North has some of the most emotionally powerful tunes that I've heard in a long time. So do me a favor. This week, try adding a few new bands to your record collection. Bands that maybe don't look like you and don't sound like anything that you have in your wheelhouse. It may seem strange, but we have forgotten how to listen deeply to new music. Many of the bands on this show, and I know it sounds strange... I never listened to the records at all. Bela Fleck, Steve Earle, Dar Williams. I knew the names. I heard them in conversation, but I never actually dove in. And then I did, and my life was changed for it. So, as always, I'm super glad you're here, expanding your sonic palette with me. And if you love this show, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a review on iTunes, and donate to the show, ZNLupitan, at gmail on PayPal. And finally, let me tell you some rare happy news. October 29th and 30th, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be bringing back Sway at Home Fest. Sway at Home 4 will be coming to you in your homes via our Facebook page and YouTube. Indeed, we have not been able to have music festivals all summer and fall long, but this is a welcome reprieve. And we have people who have been on this very show, including Tim O'Brien, David Bromberg, Oliver Wood of the Wood Brothers, and The Mammals. Also for the first time, a short set by my new side project, Patio Club, with the wonderful LaShawn Haley, and finishing it out, an epic set by Dust Bowl Revival, live from Jam in the Van. I don't know why I started talking like that. Anyway, that's it for me for now. Please make sure you vote, and vote early. I just dropped it in the Dropbox today, and here he is now, Alex, from Run River North.
1: Gold, cold, diamonds and bones, what I want what I needed To keep from feeling old I never did miss The burning sun It's burning me It's burning me out Gold, cold diamonds and bones Is what I found Underneath Casino
2: lights
1: And rubber trees uh, My name me. is
3: Alex Huang And I am part of Run River North
0: Formerly Monsters Calling Home Correct FKA MCH The artists yes. formerly known as I remember we played Some shows with you guys When you were Monsters Calling Home I think at Spaceland In Silver Lake Rest in Peace Oh wow I think it was um, was, Wild was Joe Reads. Pug playing? Maybe oh, yeah Oh the Wild Reeds. So yeah okay. we're good friends With the Wild Reeds. I know you guys toured with them right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I tried to get on their tour um last year or two years ago. Um uh but yeah, we I remember they opened for us yeah, way back when. Um Yeah, man. That was a long time ago.
0: I know. Well we've uh we've all been at this for a while and you guys have been really creating some amazing new music. Uh even with the shutdown, you have uh a new record coming out and some new singles that I woke up singing in my sleep, which was really annoying. But it means that we do—we haunt your dreams. It means that those songs are sticking in me.
1: Yes, we're excited,
0: especially the "Pretty Lies" song.
1: (laughs)
2: It's
0: a—it's great. Um,
3: Yeah, no, we've had those songs though. Like that one, especially, was from like last year, a writing session. So we're—we we have a couple of them, even in the middle of Corona. That. It's not that we're writing in the midst of corona, we just, we already were planning on releasing all of these anyway, so it just makes us seem like we're really productive.
0: So let's go back a little bit. Um, You formed around, what, 2010, 2011? Yes. 10, 11 is, um, 10 is probably when I
3: started writing for Monsters Calling Home, and 2011 would be our, um, we, I think one of my friends said, uh, the day we auditioned um, a song as a band is when we became we birthed out, which was 2011, like July 31st. And you're from L.A. originally? Mm-hmm. Um, born and raised in the San Fernando Valley.
0: Yeah, I like when, when uh, publicists write up a press release and they're like, Run River North, the band from the San Fernando Valley, it's like, does the rest of the country and the world know what that is, really? You
3: know, I I that's what that's our crusade. We want people to know there there's a San Fernando Valley where um, that's where like, you know, that's the Karate Kid. That's uh Clueless. There's the Heim Band and a lot of cool stuff that isn't like L.A. proper. It's it's just over the hill.
0: My favorite line in Clueless is when she's calling her dad, Dan Hydea, and she's getting held up in the parking lot. And he's like, where are you right now? Kuwait? And she's like, is that somewhere in the valley?
3: <laughs> it probably can be. It's it's probably as hot as Kuwait. Maybe, maybe not, like maybe a couple degrees, but it's pretty hot there.
0: Where in the valley specifically did you grow up? Uh, Granada
3: Hills, Northridge, um, right in the epicenter of the 94 earthquake.
0: I know some people were kind of freaked out because that that rumbler that came through a few nights ago yeah. was exactly at 4.30 a.m. when the Northridge Crane.
3: Yep. Hit. Yeah, I was just, I was, both my wife and I didn't wake each other up. We thought each other were sleeping and we were just waiting for it to, we were like both thinking, okay, do we start running? What do we do? If we have our kits, etc.? But both of us were trying not to wake each other up, not realizing that we were both just um, wide awake, <laughs> waiting for them, waiting for it to be the big one.
0: Yeah, my my wife works with the uh, NPR station in town, KPCC, and they did that podcast called The Big One about what will happen and what you should do to prepare. And I found it kind of disturbing because they were doing these fictional uh, enactments about how we would react, you know? If your, like, wife is across town at the office, but, like, you have no way of communicating. Like, how do you find each other? And it was like, both really informative, but also like I don't know if I want to know, <laughs> <laughs> like how terrified we would be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what were you doing at the talent agency? Were you trying to sign acts? No, nah,
3: man. I was just I was working as an assistant. I was uh, was working at CAA uh, in Century City. Started as the Death like Star. a yeah, the beautiful shiny ass Death Star. Um, the just I I worked as a I started as a summer intern. Um, my junior year, I think, or no, no, I don't remember somewhere somewhere in college. And then I got hired as like an internal floater, which is like their version of temps, and then uh, worked in different departments and ended up landing in comedy touring uh, to have my first boss, Pam Clear. And then I stayed around on that same floor, which is music touring as well, and got to work with um, Carol Kinzel. Um, and she's like this like just legendary to a agent who um anytime uh Paul Tillette from uh Coachella needs acts like Paul will call Carol and so I'd be on those calls and it'd be so it'd just be so fun just to hear him be like Carol I need Radiohead please and Carol would just be like oh I'll ask him and blah 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 and
0: um, That'll be $300,000 oh, for 45 way, way,
3: way more. And it was just crazy the amounts <laughs> of money that went through. But um, yeah, so I, I worked there for um, at the Death Star for three years. So just, just getting years, like an yeah. education from the bird's eye view. So.
0: I think it is a good thing for musicians and artists in general to be on the other side of it in some form because you can kind of empathize but also... Uh, you know, know what to steer clear of when you're really trying to really launch your own small business, because that's what we do really yeah. as musicians. We have little businesses that are uh, selling these songs and stories that we create. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I remember working for, uh, Scott Rudin, this big oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend, York. my
3: friend used to work for him. Dude.
0: And, you know, everyone said how much of a holy terror he was and, uh, but he, the guy made amazing work, you yeah. know, on Broadway and in Hollywood. And I wanted to see how that would work yeah. as someone who thought I was, was going to be a screenwriter and a playwright. Um, and it was both informative and disheartening because I saw that so much of the work came down to these over-exhausted interns and these temps like you mm-hmm weeding through thousands of scripts and book proposals and articles trying to find what would be the next Juno or the next, you know, um, indie flick that would make $400 million. And you guys, you know, have had a journey where you got onto network, you know, a really respected label and then chose to break free of that situation. Um, what was the impetus to become independent again? Um,
3: we, it was a long journey actually, um, Network did a great job, like they, they signed us as like kind of a folky indie act, um, and then we pivoted and went to like alt-rock, and I think it was their first time kind of dealing with, um, that kind of alt-rock radio, uh, and with, um, our second album, we had a little bit of success with, um, our single, um, and then we couldn't find a way to, um, push the second single, um, to, the, to the amount of success as our first one. And like, you know, everyone felt like, ah, oh, they were, we were all bummed out and kind of blaming ourselves and each other. And then at that point our, um, like couple of our, yeah, like half the band started to leave. And as we were kind of moving in and, you know, continuing to evolve, I think like, um, we were just trying to figure out like how to market ourselves and then network was just kind of you know waiting for us to figure that out on our on our end and then by the time we kind of came out of our um cocoon um we thought like you know i think we kind of know what we want and um it didn't seem like um uh the the label could kind of um kind of think more creatively or 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 push us in the ways that we wanted to be pushed um they were always fans and they're super supportive and like you know we all ended on a you know a tearful like happy note but it was just like we wanted to just um kind of own our own stuff and you know if things didn't go right then it would be on us and we you know it wouldn't we wouldn't have anyone else to blame but ourselves so it felt like we just wanted to be really independent and responsible for, you know, the success of our band, rather than like just waiting around for the radio campaign to like, you know, fizzle out and be like, oh, okay, you know what, it didn't work out. Let's just try it
0: again. Is Mr. Brightside the the single that started taking off at first? Um, no, that one. I wish we kept it because that's the one that like,
3: hopefully, that's like paying off of paying off our our um, debt to um, network, but. No, that one was just like a it was a random I had written that like I had done that cover before I even joined Monster uh, before I even created Monster's calling home and I think it was just like part of an EP that we put on knowing that it's pretty great and people were already wanting it even when it wasn't like you know like uh, officially released on any digitals. Um but it was Runner hide that kind of got going.
1: Lying in the dark your shadow, shadow hanging over me. shaking the ground, your footsteps, footsteps calling out my name.
0: You know, going back to uh, that that first self-titled record, Run River North, you know, you have this really cool dynamic in your band where you have classical elements with violin and cello and then these big sort of epic rock choruses, you know, where you can bring just huge sound to an acoustic band, in a way. And, and I don't think you guys ever were really an acoustic band.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was just, of the times, like, I think hearing um, uh, Arcade Fire and Fleet Foxes and Mumford and um, bands just, like, kind of make huge noise uh even with you know and just realizing how like big it sounds when you harmonize and you just have everybody singing um yeah i think we were able to really capitalize on that or just be inspired by it at the time
1: they're walking heavy to the beat of a broken drum Digging for worth in a land under a foreign sun. Their children call bitter words of a strange tongue. Hearts down, they're walking heavy till the dying's done.
2: Oh, oh. oh, oh.
0: Yeah, I mean that opening track "Monsters Calling Home." It's almost like your calling card, telling people yes. like, "Okay, this is sort of where we come from," yeah. and yeah, you guys uh, are unique in the sense that you've always had an all Korean American band, um, mm-hmm. and you spoke about uh, how that idea of monsters calling home is sort of paying homage to your your parents who came from South Korea and um, how they had to. Work their way into American society, and I'd like to hear a little more about your your folks and how you know your music coincides with your relationship with uh, you know, having a Korean American band.
3: Yeah, I think, um, like a lot of immigrants' families, whether it is from you know Korea or elsewhere, it's like they they know that America has a lot of opportunity and they give up on, um you know, their own cult, like, you know, they, they leave their own culture behind and come here and um, have to learn an entire language. Um, My dad had a degree in like statistics that didn't like translate. So he had to, you know, um, find small businesses to start up starting from like liquor stores or, you know, my friend's dad's had like dry cleaners. And then my dad had like a shoe store. My mom, you know, yeah, again, like not knowing the language, like try to be, dental assistant um and then just a housewife and as they're doing that we're growing up completely american going to um elementary schools where kids are telling us that oh yeah i'm gonna go camping with my dad or you know i've got lunchables and et cetera, and then we've got this like these weird korean foods that like black seaweed and like all the stuff now that, like, is all in the rage, like, but yeah. back then, like, kimchi was just like, what the fuck is that? And then, yeah. you know, um, wanting... For me, it was like, yeah, my, my parents were too busy loving us by working their asses off to just, you know, provide for us that... I was like, why don't you play with me, Dad? Or why don't we go camping? Or why don't you say, I love you, you know? <laughs> um, and all that. And then I think at a certain point, you know, I was lucky to realize it early on, but like that was their love language to just work and sacrifice their entire dreams just mm. to make us um, have the opportunity to dream. And obviously, they're like, you know, get the most stable, richest jobs you can, um, like, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. Um, and I think be a rock and roll them. musician, yeah, right. And so, when I said, like, be a rock and roll, I'm gonna do a band. I wasn't I knew like the circumstances I I told them because I had like I had gotten a full tuition scholarship to a private college and so I didn't have any debt and I wasn't like you know incurring anything to my parents and I was like I've been working I've been saving I can let me just I negotiated like I'll do this for a year Mm. and um, if it doesn't work out then I'll start finding part-time jobs and I'll start like you know looking for a different career but let me try this. So all of that was, like, infused into the music. Like, I, I before, you know, I'd be doing, like, covers of, like, stupid Jason Mraz songs or, you know, Oasis. And then I didn't really feel like I felt my, I heard my voice until I started just singing about my family. Mm. Um, And then once I felt like, okay, this feels, you know, authentic in terms of no one else can really say that this is theirs. And so that was kind of like, you know, and I would draw at CAA, like monsters calling home over and over and over again, trying to find the right font, trying to find a logo. Um, And I think, yeah, that's, that's, and I think it was like, um, to kind of coincide, there was this year where I kind of took a break from playing music. um, And I just like focused on, you know, working at CAA, and then being like a um, youth teacher at my church. And just kind of keeping my mouth shut. And in that year, like, everyone's immigrant parents' skeletons started coming out of their closets. And, like, they kept telling me about it. And I kept Mm. hearing these stories of, like, oh, you know, yeah, my dad had an affair. had a whole entire family in Korea. Or, like, you know, yeah, my dad used to be an alcoholic and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you just have to bear with it. And there was this, like, there's this thing in Korean, I think, male culture um, that you just kind of, like bear your shame and you hold Mm. it in and you don't talk about it because someone else probably has it worse than you and it's not you know worth bringing up like that and destroying your family's reputation so I luckily like I just heard about those things and even in my own family like some of the skeletons coming out and that's kind of like that two-pronged effect of like you know finding my voice and singing about my family and then hearing about all these family stories I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song, or maybe do. I think Where the Wild Things Just had just come out with like yeah. you know Karen O like, and the Arcade Fire doing like, all these songs and I was like man I want to like make a children's book for adults called Monsters Calling Home and here's like the theme song for it, and then it just evolved into actually
0: just being a band. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story. Yeah, I mean I think, a lot of families, you know they have like the one sensitive artistic kid in the family who takes it upon himself to be the storyteller and to, to catalog the family uh behavior yeah. in a way and yeah, yeah. it's always amazing to me where when i look at my own family it's like nobody really almost cares about the history or wants to know yeah, about it yeah. Whereas, like, us writers are like, let's talk about every angle of that (laughs) tragedy, you know?
3: Right. Actually, yeah, that's very true. Like, sometimes, like, yeah, some things are better left unsaid, but some things are just remarkable when you bring it up and uproot things. But I think, I feel like it's, the intention or the end result has to be, not that you want to, like, put it on display and, like, you know, like it's a museum of bones or, like, of tragedy but i really do think the end game of like you know trying to dig up all these stories is actually just to replant them and then realize that those are just the bones of things and 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 the and i think that just singing about the 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 shit that happened isn't necessarily the end game it's really like learning how to just put it back in and actually like you know have maybe a proper burial or proper memorial service and then realizing the fruit that comes out of when you let it go and you you know that's that's really the good stuff so I think after our first album like I had to stop talking about my daddy issues like I needed to Uh like kind of evolve and grow or else like yeah it's a great note to sing and everybody every every generation will probably relate to but like you, your, my, me, myself, I wouldn't like grow as a person and I would just be a stunted crybaby um, talking about the same issues over and over and like reliving, you know, a very real moment. But like, you know, like that's not the, I don't know. I think, yeah, it, it's, it should be an ongoing process, an evolving process rather than just like, yeah, just looking for the bones to dig up and be like, look at how shitty things were. And let me try to rhyme. You know, I don't know, yeah, so
0: do your folks come to your shows,
3: yeah, 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 they come when they can, um, but they're really old, like my parents had me pretty late, and me and my brother, um, and my mom has uh fought through cancer, and so they're just like, uh, if I can't sit down and if I can't leave early, yeah, I'm definitely i don't I don't invite them to everything i whenever i whenever it's like a nice one. Like, um, we played at the Fondo, which was amazing. And we played by open, we, we opened for the band Joseph and I was like, yes, this one I could, I, I should bring my parents too. But like, if I'm playing at like the bootleg or like, you know, something, yeah. something a little bit more, uh, uh, just past 11 only, p.m. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, nah, you don't, you definitely don't have to come. So it's fine.
0: And you guys played a festival in South Korea, right? The, uh,
3: yeah. Pentaport,
0: um down in Incheon and
3: um, yeah it was that it was like a two combo that one and our biggest one ever was um, Summer Sonic over in Tokyo in Osaka what was that like? Uh, incredible unbelievable definitely probably yeah the highlight for us as a band in terms of um, culturally speaking and also just as a band like that was our biggest those were our biggest three shows um, so yeah, and, but it was also like, it was also bittersweet because like we went to Korea around the same time, um, my, my mom was in Korea getting, uh, surgery and chemo done as well as my, I was like just married and you know, uh, we had gotten on our honeymoon and then my wife came over to join us in Korea and Japan. And like right before our first show in Japan, like we had one of the biggest fights in our, in our lives oh wow uh, so it was a mixed bag but we all yeah it was incredible like we got to play um a couple different shows in korea um and yeah it was i definitely we were trying to go back there um earlier this year but um yeah it was it was incredible just just like seeing people liking our songs and we're like we're from there but it's it's definitely our parents country and even our parents like my parents haven't gone back in like 30 years so it's not even their country Mm -hmm. either so like we're coming back and there is this like um there is this thing where like second like you know first or second generation korean americans when they go back like a lot of them have like a pretty shitty attitude and like oh yeah we're american we're so cool and then the koreans there are just like um we're we're really great without you 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 know, you don't even speak well, and you you talk like you're a third grader. So, what are you doing? So, like, it's definitely like, it's great when they do acknowledge, um, you know, our music, and it was it was a really fun time. So I, yeah, it was great. It was great.
0: So let's keep going. So you then release, uh, so you do the, the self-titled release with Network Run mm-hmm. River North, mm-hmm. and, you know you're still kind of getting your name out there um what was the thing that started really you know getting people to pay attention to you nationally
3: we like we recorded a uh our song Fight to Keep in our Honda cars in the valley going to McDonald's and the audio and the video was all you know like from the car because we were we didn't have um this was before the record so we um we did that and then honda um we we pretended like it was sponsored by honda and then Uh honda's ad agency kind of came through and like they were like oh cool like who are you guys like you know we'd love to like kind of like document your story and then maybe like have you guys play for some honda executives as like a thank you and we were like that's cool and then they they we thought definitely something was up just because the year before, they had given um, this guy who had driven a million miles on his Honda, they gave him a new car. So I was like, dude, it would yeah. be great if they gave us like a a touring, touring Honda van or something. So we go to this hotel where they say like Honda execs are going to be there. We're playing the sound check and then they stop us and they're like, you know, there isn't a, there really isn't a um, thing going on. And we're like, in our heads, we're like, this is it, this is it. And then they go... But instead of a show here, you're actually going to go play on Jimmy Kimmel Live and you're going to play um, right across the street in a, in a couple hours. So that was like, like, it was like really surreal where we just didn't expect it. We didn't have time to kind of like soak it in. And we went over, you know, next door. It was a, an incredible green room. Like we got to meet Guillermo and then we played on you know national tv and then they were like this is going to air next week so you got to keep quiet so like for one week we're like oh my god we're so badass we're like going to be on national tv we'll get all these record labels to come and sign us because we had like been invited by like atlantic and warner to kind of have dinner and we're like okay we'll we'll get these you know it's going to be great um and then all the major labels kind of just, like, ghosted us. And then Network was like, we're still here. We love you guys. And then we had a great meeting with them. And so that's how we signed. So that was that was kind of our big break prior to, like, our release of the Run River North album. So it was, like, getting on Kimmel and then releasing an album, getting a couple of, you know, kind of good looks, and then going on, on tour. That was kind of our first, um, like how we kept going but then right in the middle of or like right at the end of our first like headlining tour i i i really did not like daniel in the band who's still in it ironically and i wanted to kick him out and i i hated him i just didn't like him as a person and uh we had to like go through some like uh what is it called um a facilitation yeah mediation um My pastor had to mediate a discussion with us, and I was like, yeah, and then we kind of pulled through all of that, and um, that was our first leg of of Run River North, I guess, yeah.
0: (laughs) And you guys have had some lineup changes, and now, you know, the three-piece that makes up the core of the band is you, Daniel, and Sally Kang, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Correct. Yeah.
0: I mean, look. Your differences with Daniel aside, sometimes that friction does create amazing shit. That's the, that's like the the annoying thing about creative people. Um, I had <laughs> a similar situation with another Daniel uh, <laughs> who was in our band for many years, and we wrote really cool stuff together. Like not a lot, but like the two or three songs we would write every like year yeah. were like the highlights of the album.
2: Nice every time. Yeah,
0: and. The problem with working with him uh, is that we're both so kind of hard headed about like how things should sound or yeah. like which which direction this song should go in, yeah that um it's hard to not fight for your ideas right. at every point, yeah, and yeah. a lot of times that's not very fun to work no, like that, definitely, you know how are you guys able to work through your differences
3: um we have gone through a lot i mean i think because even the other three like everyone was in our band it was like a co-owner like everybody was equal owners of the company so i i had fought for that and i wanted to make sure that was the case and so you know some people are meant to be owners and some people just like don't want to like put in all the effort and so um through it all I know that Daniel had always he worked his ass off and he knew because he came from like a finance background he knew like this what we were doing was like really special so I think um how we've made it work is just it's been a long process but we we even in the midst of us being really mad at each other we me and him uh him and I went to um Nashville to work on new songs for the second album um together so like we just we just we're just mature about it we were like okay this is setting our personal differences aside when we're creating music it really works like I work on the lyrics and just like the big picture stuff or like what what the song is going to be about and he's just brilliant musically like and I leave it to him like I don't get in the way there unless like I just have to. And so I have no ego about the music about it and then um yeah, he takes that's care of that.
0: That's hard that's hard to do though, not having ego about the music part.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some something about it like um um or at least I think when I do have an ego about it, he understands where I'm coming from. I'm never like um I'm never making decisions about the music just so that I can put my stamp on it or I'm just like I think this is important and Usually um, he's just trying to translate what I'm what I'm saying. And I think um, because of that reason, like because I don't have any ego about the music part and he doesn't have any ego about the lyrics and, you know, what I'm saying, like that just kind of keeps us in our own lanes. But at the same time, kind of interwoven nicely and efficiently. And so
0: one of the new singles, uh, Spiders, was also partially recorded in a Honda. Am I correct?
3: Yes, yeah, Sally and Daniel did the voice vocals on their end. Um my vocals are actually from my iPhone 7 with a sock pop filter. Um and mo- all of it was recorded like over Zoom like mixed over Zoom or like sent over. Um it was definitely a corona song for sure.
0: And you did a video with you guys dressed up in like hazmat suits in downtown la yeah,
3: funny. i just like was so bored at my coffee shop that i work at um and the two my coworkers are just really they're actually fantastic um directors and dps and they had the idea of doing like a one take after like we were all crushing over like paul thomas pt anderson's like one take music videos or uh, alfonso coran's like Uh, what is it the children of men sequence um, where it's just like one whole take so we were like let's do something like ambitious and there's no one here anyways oh here are some hazmat suits from our Halloween party two years ago and let's just let's just do it and it like it rained perfectly all the elevators hit at the right time and after seven takes we had we had the perfect take and it was it worked out like as if we had so many people behind us but it was just like his iPhone and his gimbal and that was it. And we made, it was a three-person endeavor and it worked out as if it was like a huge team.
1: <laughs> Spiders up the wall, up to the ceiling. I can't shake them all, cause no one sees them. Why the silly face when the room's so serious? Happy and it's never enough. Just the way it is, just the way it is. It's just the way it is for now. Just the way it is, just the way it is. It's just the way it is for
0: now. Probably the last time it's rained in LA when has it rained since then
3: yeah i feel like it has yeah you're right i think maybe it's drizzled a couple times but you know la summers it's it's always it's like fires and droughts so
0: very <laughs> usual well you have that line in, in in the song spiders that feels very um symbolic of what a lot of people are going through in this sort of limbo period you know where no one's like really happy and it's never enough
2: right
3: yeah I think I think um there is something to be said though about like sometimes you just need a smile first to be happy and I think sometimes especially now it's like if you can't go and do those things to elicit like that those endorphins and the those memories and that feeling Um you have to force yourself to find different ways to find that happiness come through um, right um because i th- I think even as we were touring and, and doing live music you know it was still a battle then to like stay present and be happy so that's true i don't think i don't think the coronavirus or the what what things are doing is like it's an attack on our happiness it's almost just like hey like how how can you find it and it shouldn't be rely reliant on like On these outside things Um, and um, I think it's like it's it's scary but it's like it's like a huge mirror is just put up against everybody in the world and be like hey like what what is important to you like how can you how can you find it and I think I think the sad part is uh, the the true part is though like it, it does like we all need each other and like having people around is super important and that not having that definitely sucks.
0: Your newest single, Pretty Lies, which I mentioned as the song that woke me up in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. thanks for that, I think also symbolizes for me what makes your music so unique in that it has these huge dynamic shifts. You know, you have the acoustic vibe underneath and then it turns into like a Weezer rock epic jam, you know? Yes. And then it comes back down. Yeah. But you're you're going for the hook, but you have this warm underbelly that doesn't make it like a slick, you know. Yeah. 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 Rock thing.
3: Yeah. I think we were always like we're very aware of like, okay, this is what music sounds like right now. This is what we're doing. What do we want to do? And I think we just got really lucky because like when we were writing with the guys uh, of Sir Sly, like because we all like were on the same wavelength of like, I love bass guitar or like I love an acoustic guitar when it's done this way. And then you're like, okay, I like rap too like what can we can we make it without being like super corny? And then we were like, yeah, if Sally sings, then then it's like just perfect. And I think things were just like, In place and then just like naturally just coming through and and everyone in the room was just like why not like if we couldn't answer that question then you know we just went for it and so it it felt like a really fun uh, song to make and I think that really comes out with how like eclectic and weird it is
0: yeah because for two minutes it's not very heavy and then it gets real heavy
3: (laughs) oh yeah 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 it's that's my favorite part
2: in a secret way Telling a pretty lie Ugliest way to die I cut a story off I got a new plan Got talking who's there
1: I could tell the truth Or I could keep telling pretty lies I could tell the truth Or I could keep
0: telling pretty lies The reason I bring up Weezer, especially like Blue Album era Weezer, is that mm-hmm. I felt like they would have these very intimate, almost acoustic jams, like My Name is Jonas, you know? Yeah, yeah, and think. then halfway through the song you're like oh shit let's get into the mosh pit right now yeah
3: yeah yeah
0: yeah and it made it accessible to someone like me who really wasn't into like loud rock Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden I was like wait I've been gently pushed into the mosh pit and now I'm in and I like it
3: (laughs) yeah 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 I don't think I'm a big mosh pitter either but um I think yeah. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Like if you can kind of gently bring people in and then you realize you're already in it, then you're like, "Oh man, I I, I like green eggs and ham." You know? And you're
0: like, "Okay. <laughs> cool." And when you say, you know, I don't want to keep telling pretty lies to you, who do you feel like you're talking to in that song?
2: Um
0: for me, yeah, I feel I feel like all
3: the time, I think the most in every song if I, the the lyrics that like I'm gonna sing they usually start accusing somebody else but if I can't tell it to myself then I usually like ah oh, this is bad but when i when I find out that like I'm actually talking to myself then I really believe it so I think definitely it's like definitely the finger that I'm pointing is always pointing back at
0: me there's a podcast called hidden Brain on NPR which is great mm-hmm. um, about people's behavior and psychological trends. And there was a, I think a Canadian psychologist on there talking about how these studies show that when you're with other people, you behave in this like very best self version. When you're with your wife or your husband in the uh, silence of your home, you're, you're not telling them anything and you're not like really expressing yourself and you're not Um, sharing your knowledge a lot of times you're hiding that from the person that you should be sharing with most which is kind of fascinating I agree
3: yeah it's it's and 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 especially now like it's not just friends like you have internet uh identities you have all these avatars in different ways and so you're just like you have so many ways to tell pretty lies and so many ways for people to um I feel like yeah that's that's all of social media and all of like what's going on randomly I feel like Pretty Lies is way more of a corona song than Spider's where it, it just seems like we just don't care whether things are true um we just care if it's like viral and it 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 aligns with the emotion of the day uh that we have or the you know party line that we have and like oh shoot yeah this is it
0: how has your relationship with your wife changed since the shutdown
3: we've we've been finding out I, I think it's been great i think it's been great for our marriage like just like you said like every night it's like hey there you are like okay yeah. um so it's really shown us how to communicate um you know yeah long term and also it's kind of been showing us like sometimes we do need some space and um like for her, like when we were going on on tour, um, luckily, weirdly enough, she was she. We got married, and she got in our life when we were kind of going through a lot of our own band breakups. So we did mm. tour, but we weren't like so much on tour. Um, and I feel like she always misses me a lot, and she gets FOMO, and she thinks we're having so much fun, and I have to keep like sh- showing her like. band life tour life is like good for 45 minutes like 24 23 hours of the day it is like really like not glamorous but she you know so like she would always miss me she would always like want to be around and then like now that we're around each other for so long we're both realizing how much how important it is to kind of like have our own time and, and like you know hang out in whatever capacity with our own friends and allow that to like kind of like Fuel us so that when we are together, we don't get sick of each other. So, yeah.
0: There's a love song uh, for your uh, Monsters Calling Home, Volume One through Two, Sad Takes record, mm. um, the uh, the only one, which I love. Which oh, yeah. Is this, this back and forth, you know, sort of the male and the female perspective uh, in that, you know, that line if you're going to let me down, let me down easy, because I'm oh, barely yeah, yeah. hanging on. Don't make it last too long. Yeah. Um, just sort of the, the beautiful pain of a love affair really captured so well there.
3: Yeah. Um, I think you're combining two songs. One, I think only one on the MCH volume one, two, three is a cover of the Black Keys. And the song you're talking about is Let Me Down, which is on MCH
0: volume
3: two EP, uh, which that's an original song. And that one, you're right. It I don't is, know why I
0: wrote that, but yes, <laughs> keep going. Yeah.
3: Uh, that one that one we wrote with this guy named Derek Furman and we had written a couple songs with him he's just like great melody writer Um, but we had written that and then like when we went in to record it with um, our producer Miro Mackey um, that day like I think (laughs) I'm just giving you the we don't fight all the time but like Susan and I had a really big fight Where it got so bad Like I was in my car In the parking lot Yelling at my phone And she was at the apartment Yelling at her phone And I yelled so much It was like I played three shows And then yeah. so the next day I come in I'm like guys I don't know if I can sing this <laughs> This sounds terrible And then so I couldn't sing it that day But the next day As I was still recovering Mira was like You know what just go in And see what, see how you feel And like there is such an honesty in, in that take that we got. Like you like I I hear the fight from my voice especially towards the end. Um, but yeah. That it's called let me down. Let
1: me down. I'm hanging on. So don't make it last too long. Let me down. I'm barely it on So don't make it last too long
0: I always remember that story that Paul McCartney tells about when they recorded Twist and Shout.
3: Yeah? I don't know that he one. He
0: had blown his voice out, like, recording and then smoking and partying and... and You know, had a long night, and then they were like, Well, we got this studio time. We're supposed to do this vocal right now. Mm -hmm. And John Lennon's just like, Dude, just like scream it. (laughs) You know, like how little Richard or someone would do it. Like, these are your heroes. They would just gut it out. Like, you can gut it out. And you can hear him like barely getting there.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's so like raw and so real because he's almost not able to sing it in tune but he just makes he it. it yeah wow you know <laughs> and I think that's something that I've realized recording over the last few years is that that edge of barely being able to reach your note is what makes that note feel so satisfying when you oh, do yeah. get there yeah it's yeah. not good for your voice though <laughs> I'll tell you that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's why I sound kind of crispy right now. I've been recording some demos of some songs that I probably shouldn't be singing in E or you know E is like one of those <laughs> belt belt keys. Yeah, where I'm like, yeah, can well, you sing in that key? Yeah. But I'm like, I'm gonna do it anyway. Mostly because like when a song hits you, mm-hmm. it's like falling in love. You're like, I gotta get this out. I gotta like,
2: yeah. I gotta
0: you know yeah. write it down and, and and mark it down for history. even though you listen to it the next day and you're like, was that good? (laughs) All right, the last song I'm going to ask you about is uh, another single that will be coming out in your forthcoming record, uh, which I've just been jamming to for the last few days over and over again, uh, the wake-up tune that you guys wrote. Nice. Because it feels like almost like a call to action or protest, but in this really sort of fun-loving... Gentle way <laughs> You know You're like Alright <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. Like wake the fuck up Here we go <laughs> Yeah yeah yeah
3: I um That Two things about that song One That made me realize I have a Tendency To go to the major third On a lot of things Like I really like The major it's your third It's happy place It's my happy place Um Uh And Secondly Yeah That one was I remember falling in love with that one. That one was such a... Because, like, we had we had done the Circe sessions and wrote Pretty Lies and another song, and we were like, this is great. We, like, everything else is... We don't have anything else to do. This is great. And then the next day, we were um, scheduled to do another writing session, and I had no idea who this kid was. His name was Nick Anderson. He's from this um, kind of like a pop-punk band called um, uh, The Rex. And... Um, we were like, alright, it's in the valley We should try it anyways, but whatever And then we go in And like, eight crazy hours later We have wake up And we were like, what the hell was that? And we just had like We just met a insane Mad scientist of a, of a, a Musician um, This guy was Really off the wall And like, um, we got wake up Out of that, and it was like I just remember like we were playing it back as as we're like in eight like hour eight of the writing session and we're just like kicking and like we're like oh my god and then the, the crowd's gonna do this and like holy shit and like I just remember everyone being so hyped off of that first day just recording it like we met that day and in eight hours we
1: had to wake up and so that was that was a good day Sunday morning back in my place, you can sleep late, I don't mind Break some eggs, make a mixtape, and let it play like 20 times I ain't got no money, but I got lots of time So let's spend a little, live a little, cause every day the sun will rise Baby! Come smell the roses, oh come
0: It's not a protest song per se, but I feel like it could be interpreted as one years from now, considering that it came to be in this time of yeah the woke times yeah. mass wokeness, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah,
3: I feel man I could, and I, I guess like, yeah, it would it would hopefully, and it and it does every time we sing it, like everyone loves singing that part, like we ain't got no money but we got lots of time. Sounds like what's happening and weirdly enough. But I feel like I love it because like it doesn't like, like you said, it's not a protest song where like there's a marching beat or like some like really serious chords. They're just like, they're just some really fun, funny things and it's not taking itself too seriously. But at the same time, yeah, the words seem pretty serious and spot on right now,
0: weirdly enough. If you could tell yourself something as you're sitting here now but you could talk to yourself when when you were a kid just starting to write music what would you tell yourself um learn learn the piano dude learn it learn
3: it right now (laughs) um maybe that or or uh what do i say um here listen to some of these artists because i have so much I have so many blind spots. You would be so shocked at how little music I know. Um, or maybe I would just be like, "Yo, great job! You're gonna have a lot of fun. Um, maybe uh, get into yoga a little earlier."
2: <laughs> and um,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's weird because like that that question. I I wrote a song called "Growing Up," and that was what it was. Like, what would my eighty year old self? go back and tell my 15 year old self and I thought more so than like life lessons I I was way more interested in the kid telling the 80 year old guy like yo back off like you're almost gonna die like I've got my whole life in front of me Uh and I'm I'm gonna live like I there's no tomorrow and that's something like I think that's the that's the beauty of youth where like you make decisions not realizing like some of the repercussions could be you know detrimental but like you you come out with like such like bombastic like courageous things and you do brave things not almost like fearlessness because you don't know what the outcome is going to be so like it's in this weird space where i don't know if i want to prepare my 15 year old self like writing songs or yeah i don't know
1: there's a fight to be won for the love you find at home Work to be done Before you rest your weary bones I'm finding peace Don't come To everyone I know So I will love in this life Till I finally have to go Said I will love in this life Till I finally have to go
0: It it has been fun kind of seeing people um, cooking at home and, and learning their Family recipes for the first time. Um, yeah, I've been learning a lot of uh, home cooking techniques off of TikTok, which may be banned in the next month, but until <laughs> then, um, until then, yeah. I'm gonna keep enjoying it. Yeah, is there something that you learn to cook from your folks?
1: Yeah, um, well,
3: let's see, um,
1: my folks,
3: uh. My mom, up until, like, very recently, she's still, like, shower— Like, both our moms would, like, just keep, like, preparing dishes for us to try. Um, Weirdly enough, um, I've learned all my Korean dishes now on YouTube through this, like, one lady. Her name is, like, Bangchi, and, um, which means hammer in Korean. I don't know why. Um, (laughs) But she's awesome she's like I think she's single handedly like she, for a while was the only like Korean mom that could speak a little English could, and then could teach all of you know our generation how to cook Korean food and she's just like wildly popular um, but the dishes that I I've learned from my culture and that my mom has helped me there's like this short short rib uh, braised short rib dish that like every Korean son, it's probably their favorite dish because it's a little sweet. It's like massive pieces of meat and like potatoes and like, it's just like a decadent like royal meal. And um, uh, it's pretty popular now in some Korean restaurants, but it's called like galbi Chim And it's like a stewy, kind of spicy, like big pieces of meat. um, And it has a little bit of sweetness to it. And then you're just like, oh, it's, it's a great dish if you're a meat eater. Um, yeah, that's that would be my, I've learned to make that, uh, and it's never as good as my mom's, but it's, it's getting close.
0: Yeah, I, I fell in love with Korean food in high school in Chicago. Um, my girlfriend at the time, her parents um, taught, I think like martial arts, and they also would just take us to these Korean restaurants like every time we would hang out with them. And he's and he spoke Korean for some reason. He's an older white guy. I'm not sure why, but, um, and I just became obsessed with that flavor palette. And every time we land somewhere uh, on tour, I have to convince my van to go to a Korean spot wherever we are because it's usually open <laughs> super late at night, and. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have converted as many people as possible to the wonders of Korean cookery. But I'm, you know, probably pretty bad at attempting it at home. But I've, I've tried to do a few things. I've, I really dug yeah. this uh, this Korean sesame egg recipe that I learned on TikTok where you like oh, marinate yeah. the egg, you know, the, the soft boiled eggs overnight and like this yeah. sesame ginger paste. Yeah, And like, oof. Yeah. So good.
3: Dude, yeah, when you that, – that kind of ses- – sesame oil in Korea, Korean cuisine is like the truffle. It just like makes – it just makes everything magical and um, I think if you just like – if you take just like rice and you put sesame oil with your soy sauce and then like drop an egg in there and mix it up, oh, it yeah. like – ugh, it is delicious. Yeah.
0: Is there a Korean spot in LA that you – recommend to folks
3: tons I live in the heart of K-Town there's like four right down the street um, I think recently I've been into this um, I've been into this fried chicken place by this guy um, it's a, it's a one man shop it's called Gortong which is uh, like G-O-L-T-O-N-G
0: is that the one in that little parking fried lot chicken. that just has a little like kiosk type thing
3: the, no No, it is in like a mini mart, like mini plaza. Um, It's on Western and 4th. I don't know if I saw a kiosk there, but he, it's it's a brick and mortar, but he's a failed Korean film director (laughs) and he started a chicken shop in Korea, which got really famous. And then I think he moved over here. And so in his shop, like you can see like posters of his movies that he's made. That's amazing. And he's, he's got these like thick, eyebrows and like these thick like black rim glasses he just he looks like a director and it's just him making this chicken and he loves like showing off the chicken like you can only order it to go in delivery but like as he's bringing it out to you like he opens it up and goes like look at this and he goes give me the 5 star Yelp review people have been saying this is the best chicken and he's like don't rush me but I will get it to you in 10 minutes he's, he's, he's a character and the chicken is so good like he he, it's like he has like wings, but like his chicken tender kind of thing, where he like just fries an entire chicken and like all the bits and pieces, and he adds like I don't know avocado and like fruit on one of the the, the spicy oh, one. Shit. He has a soy garlic one that like is just amazing. I I ordered like I gotta be honest with you, I ordered it like two days in a row, like yesterday <laughs> and the day before um, for guests, and then also just me and my wife just like wolf down like. Twenty-seven dollars worth of chicken.
0: <laughs> What's
2: the place called again?
3: Uh, Gortong. So it's G-O-L, and then space T-O-N-G. Um, Noted. The dude is hilarious. Like you, you, the number on the Yelp is his, uh, his his phone number. Like it's his cell phone. And yesterday when I called it to order, he was like 10, 15 minutes. And I like the day before, he took a little bit longer. So I was just chilling at home and I get a text of my he took a picture of the chicken and he was like it's ready. I'm like holy shit, this guy yeah. loves his chicken. So, yeah.
0: The reason I asked if it was in like a kiosk in a parking lot is my sister just moved to Cape Town as well and she's a vegetarian but uh, she's been walking yeah. by this place for like months yeah. during quarantine with her dog and she's like, "You know what? Fuck it. I'm getting this fried chicken sandwich." <laughs> She sends me this picture. She's like, "Yeah, I'm in a weird mood today, having a fried chicken uh-huh. sandwich, and it's fucking worth it."
3: <laughs> wow. I wonder, because I know there's Dave's Hot Chicken, like two places in k Town. If she's into vegetarian food, I mean, like, Korea, k Town is perfect for that. Um, does she? Does she? Does she do noodles? Oh yeah. Man, I could recommend some. Let me. Uh, let me. I'll text you a couple okay. places for your sister. <laughs>
0: All right. Introduce uh, one more song for uh, for folks to hear cemetery is a um is our
3: next single it's it's acoustic guitar with a, a little bit of synth and it's very romantic and it's um it's about it's about the first like official date that my wife and i had when we were dating where i wanted to take her to this cemetery because i really i like certain cemeteries um that like are really calm and peaceful and i feel like i get to like like be face to face with death in a way that isn't creepy and there was this, there's this one in like glendale that i like i went for like a friend's funeral and it was very sad he like he took his life and like but then at the same time i was looking around and i was like this is a magical cemetery like it seems like it's go- like a narnia land like there was just like like i didn't know where certain streets were going to go and so i asked my wife at the time I was like can we go to the cemetery kind of as a litmus test If she was like hell no I'll be like okay well then maybe we're not going to date too long but she said yes and we went to this cemetery and there was like there was a secret garden halfway through the cemetery there was a statue of David like randomly there and we were like it was just like around every turn there was something new and so um, this song kind of is just that mood where like yeah, it was a weird vibe where, like, you never think, like, it's going to be a cemetery. But it's it's at a, a random place where, like, I felt we really connected. And so the song kind of is, like, a very, yeah, just a nice romantic little getaway song. More coffee shoppy. Um, um, but Daniel and Sally, they still add their flavor to it. So it doesn't completely, you know, live just in a coffee shop. So it's great. Like, you hear her voice you hear the doubling up of her and yeah you have just enough synth where it doesn't like it's not just acoustic guitar but the acoustic guitar in it is so beautiful and we wrote that with um chris chu of pop etc they used to be called morning benders Mm -hmm. and um i i love i love their stuff they were the first like asian indie band that i got to see on youtube and i was like holy shit these guys are like really good and we got to meet them in uh in Tokyo, ate noodles with them and then a couple of months later Chris was like hey I'd love to write with you and then we wrote a couple of songs with them um, one of them being I'm Amazing which is on volume 2 of MCH which is a completely different song from the other stuff that we wrote and so it just kind of shows how talented this guy is but um, yeah that's the long I'm really excited for Cemetery it's, it's coming out soon it'll be a nice little appetizer compared to the main dishes that we've had
0: I think we all need to eat lunch now.
3: <laughs> I'm so hungry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll meet you at the, at the chicken spot.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me, man. I'm, I'm glad that you stuck with it and you know, you've created some really beautiful work.
2: Thanks, man.
3: Appreciate that.
2: Was it Tuesday in the summer When you started sleeping on my couch And I lost track of the details of what is it? What isn't allowed?
0: Yeah, that was Cemetery by Run River North, and that will be on the newest record coming in late January. It will be called Creatures in Your Head. I don't think they've even shared that with the world yet, so you know it here first. You can go to their website, runrivernorth.com, to find their new music, including this Friday, a new single called One For Me. Honestly, I am both intimidated and jealous by the amount of good new music Run River North is putting out during this shutdown. And speaking of new music, my band Dust Bowl Revival put out a new song called Beside You. It is also on our purple vinyl. That is a great way to support a band that you love when they cannot tour and come and see you. Go to dustbowlrevival.com for more. And if you miss going to music festivals and seeing groups from all over the world convene in one place, never fear. Dust Bowl Revival's Sway at Home Fest is back October 29th and 30th. I'm announcing it right here, and the lineup is being revealed this week, including people who have been on this show like David Bromberg, Tim O'Brien, and the Mammals, and folks I'm really excited to see, like blues legend Guy Davis. All you have to do is go to our Facebook or our YouTube, October 29th and 30th. We'll see you there. Big thanks to the Bluegrass Situation for flinging our podcast into the universe where you all can hear it. And if you like this podcast, support their other podcasts like Beth Bears' Harmonics, where this week she talks to Mary Gaucher, who was on our Suede Home Fest 3 in July. As always, if you want to be a friend, please leave us a kind review on iTunes, share this show with your friends and family, and you can donate to us, znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. Big thanks to Sean Erno for sending a donation this week. That's it. Enough from me. I'm signing off. Please, please, please vote. We can do this together if we all try a little bit harder, and I'll see you next week on the trail.